Turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 38. Follow along as I read. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, wherever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel, throughout all their journeys. Let's pray. Father, we ask that You would help us as we come into Your Word today. (coughs) Help us to rightly understand it. And I I ask God that You would cut us up. That You would cause us to bleed this morning. As we so often are just calloused by sin. But God, I ask that You wouldn't leave us bleeding. But that You would mend us with the balm of Jesus Christ. Take us to Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Whenever I uh, watch a movie, my family would tell you this, I I always want to watch something that's epic. So if you ever have an opportunity to sit down with me on my extremely uncomfortable couch and watch something, we will scan Netflix and try to find something that I would deem epic. And I've always been that way, ever since I watched Braveheart, I think. I thought Braveheart was epic. I want to watch something epic. And a couple years ago, I remember thinking to myself, like, I don't even know what that means. I know what epic feels like. I don't even know what epic means when I say that. So, I looked up a definition of epic. And epic has to do with, some, with, with a, uh, a, a villain, a great enemy. And epic has to do with a, a greater hero who is able to rout the enemy through a series of events, and generally speaking, in some fashion, win. Braveheart, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, some of you guys are Star Wars people maybe, Dumb and Dumber of course, epic movies, (laughs) like really good stuff, great stories. And Exodus, I would say, has been epic. It's an epic story. With a terrible enemy. And a great hero. In some ways, the book of Exodus begins and ends under, clou- under a cloud. You could kind of summarize the whole book by saying Exodus is about two clouds. The first one is the shadow of oppression. It's the cloud of slavery. It's the shadow of injustice, genocide, infanticide. Do you remember that cloud? 
Exodus starts off on a very bitter note. And we grit our teeth as we see the people of Israel bear underneath the cloud of the whip of the oppressor. And Exodus ends under another cloud. And that is the shadow of God's very own presence. That's where the book ends. How did we get there? It's been an epic story. The last five chapters of Exodus are all about the building of the tabernacle. And often as you're reading, doing your Bible reading and reading through Exodus, you get lost in it and you forget what this is even about. The gold and the silver, etc. This is about, this is about the, the final shadow. This is about the presence of God dwelling with the people of Israel. So in chapters 35-39, through 39, they're collecting all that they need for the tabernacle. And then they're right there in chapter 40, verse 2. It says, on the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And so Moses now is going to direct this and, and they're going to put it together. The day has come. Verse 16, then Moses did according to all that the Lord has commanded him, so he did. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. It's put up. This big, beautiful tent. This structure with golds and purples and scarlets that would just stand in all of its glory in the middle of the desert. There. To be the house of God. And then it's almost as if God couldn't wait to get into it. Like as soon as the thing was up, on the very day it was erected. Look at verse 34. It says, Then the cloud. And what is the cloud? The cloud in the Scriptures, this is, this is the picture. It's the visible picture of God's presence. It's a visual manifestation of the very experiential presence of the Creator God who has delivered them. Then the cloud. It, 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 settles, it, it, it settles on the, on the meeting, tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. Moving day came. The house was built and God couldn't wait to move in. And God immediately moves in with His people. What did the glory look like? What did this look like as the glory fills the temple? I have no clue. I don't know. If, uh, if Marty's DeLorean time machine was real, I would definitely set the date to this moment. And I would go back because I would love to see the glory and the presence of God fill the tabernacle. What that must have been like. What does His glory look like? We don't know. We do, do know in Exodus chapter 34, as God put Moses in the cleft of the rock, remember that story? And the glory of God passes over Moses. And then Moses comes down, his face is glowing. Not from something on the inside, but something he encountered on the outside to the point where they have to cover his face because they just can't bear it. God's glory is brilliant. It's bright. It's beautiful. And it's scary. All at the same time. Described as flashes of lightning. Now, filling the tabernacle. Filling the structure. Filling the tent. Now, Exodus ends 
on a fairly bittersweet note. I'll give you the bitter part first, and then I'll give you the sweet part. After the glory of God and the presence of God fills the tabernacle, look at verse 35. God comes in an unapproachable presence. Before I read it, when I was in college, I worked for an electric company, Atlantic Electric. We put new electricity in new construction. And uh, we worked on the home of the, for the owner of Badcock Furniture, which is a big furniture store in the South. And uh, this place was like 12,000 square feet. This thing was massive. It had like a his and her master bathroom, like two master bathrooms, one for him, one for her. Um, there was a secret den where you kind of move the clock thing and you can kind of get into this den and there was a uh, a built-in projector that came down with a screen at the same time. It was amazing. And so I was there all every day after my classes. I was there on the job for months putting electricity, wiring this house up. Uh, I, I even took my, my girlfriend, whose name was Jess, same Jess that I'm married to today. Uh, I took her, her there one evening after hours just so I could like walk her around the place in this rough construction and just show her like the magnificence of what this place is going to be like. Now, when the owner of Backup Furniture got the keys to the house and moved in, could I have just taken my girlfriend just right up to the door and kind of walked in, hey, I'm the guy that wired up that outlet right there. I'm just going to show her around a little bit if you don't mind, right? I can't do that now that the owner is present. If anybody has a right to go into the tabernacle, it is Moses. Moses has been the great leader. Moses is the one who, who has overseen this entire project. Like He knows everything about the tabernacle. He's been in there. He just like hung, it, hung up the, the, the beautiful whatever. If anybody has the right to go into the tabernacle, it's Moses. But as soon as God moves into his house, it's as if God says, no, this is my house. And Moses... I want you to wrap your mind around this. Moses can't go in. The tabernacle is finally built. The glory of God has filled it. And Moses tries to go in and bam! The glory of God prevents him from doing so. Was Moses surprised by this? Reading between the lines a little bit? I think he probably was. It made it into the ending. It's almost as if he was trying to go in and he sa it says that he was not able to enter. God lives. 1 Timothy 6.16 says, God lives in an unapproachable light. An unapproachable light. You might imagine being on a dark street and all of a sudden a floodlight turns on and, and it blinds you. Maybe something like that. But even that's not a great illustration because you can still approach the floodlight even though it's blinding. I mean, I can't imagine a light, the glory of God that is so powerful that you can't even approach it. So often we treat God in the same way that Aladdin treated the genie. 
We just assume His presence. We demand His presence when we want something and then we ignore His presence when we don't like what He's saying. God dwells in an unapproachable light. God's presence is so magnificent and powerful that if this moment were to happen today in your sin, there is no way that you could even get near the presence of God. How does, how does the unapproachableness of God's presence affect you? How does this reality affect the way that you talk about God? Are you flippant with your language about God? Are you careless and irreverent when you think of who God is? Do you ignore God in your life? How does this affect the way that you prepare for worship? Do you get to bed early? Knowing that we're going to lose an hour tonight, you've got to get to bed even an hour earlier, right? Do you prepare yourself? Are you in the Word asking God to, to help you as you enter into His presence? Do you, do you recognize the magnificence of God's glory? <laughs> I'm lost now. If somebody's listening on this podcast, they have no clue what is going on right now. Um, well, let's just move on. Since that was shot right there. Alright. Secondly, uh, God comes not in an, an, only in an unapproachable presence, but He comes in an unending presence. And so this is sort of the sweet part. That's the bitter part. That's kind of like the anticlimactic part of Exodus. The tabernacle's built, can't go in. But then there's this sweetness as the book ends. He comes in an unending presence. Last night, my wife and I were in the kitchen trying to put some dinner together. And uh, I'm over here working on some hamburger stuff and Jess is over here doing something else. And the kids are playing tag between us. And then another one of them is rolling on their scooter around the kitchen. <laughs> and we were like, hey, like some of you, most of you guys have been to my house before. Like we have a, we bought one of these big old row houses. I mean, there's plenty of space for them to go. Uh, but they kind of like hover around us wherever we are, right? Well, Jess and Jaden, they were gone a couple weeks ago. And I had Eden and Haddon just for a weekend uh, by myself. And one thing I realized uh, while I had them was that they're always within three feet of me, especially when Jess and Jaden are gone. And so I, if I was in the living room, then I went to the kitchen to get a drink of water, turn around, they're kind of like right there. And then I maybe go to the, go to the bathroom and I have to like kind of push them out of the door and they sit right outside the door and hey, there you are, uh, standing in the hallway and they're standing right beside me, right? It's like gnats buzzing around your head. But unlike gnats buzzing around your head, hold up, hold up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to redeem this. I know. Unlike gnats buzzing around your head, there is a certain sweetness to this, isn't there? There's a certain sweetness to this. I'm serious. There's a sweetness to the fact that our children want to be around us, near us, in our presence. Honestly, we wouldn't trade it for anything. And this is, this is how the book ends, actually. The, the cloud, it's resting on the temple. It's as if whenever the cloud gets up and moves, the children follow. And then it rests and they stop. 
And if the cloud remains, the children don't move. They just stay there. We're just going to stay right here. And then the cloud gets up and it moves again and the children follow the cloud. Israel wandered for 40 years. Why? It's not because they didn't know where the promised land was. It's because they were following the cloud. They wanted to be in the presence of God. And oh, how things have changed for Israel in the book of Exodus. First, without the experiential presence. Then, rejecting the spiritual presence and building a a golden calf for themselves. And now finally broken down in repentance. Here they are, children, within three feet of their dad and they can't leave His presence. Wherever He goes, they're going to follow because what else do they have? We can look at the text here in verse 33. 36, it's sort of like it stands in kind of this stark contrast to 35. Because as soon as we read 35, the question we ask is, oh, so God is here, but not really? God is like home, but He's not available. You're ringing the doorbell and He won't come? No, not at all. The real experiential presence of God is in their midst. And that's how it closes. Look at verse 36. Throughout all their journeys... Wherever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out, but if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. The cloud following the presence of God Nothing without the presence of God. Absolutely hopeless without God's presence. What else do you have other than than outside of God's, God's presence? Friends, do you realize that God is present with you? You say, well, I don't see the cloud. That's not His... We're not in that epoch. He's not giving us a visible representation of His presence. But there's never been a time in all of history prior to Christ that those after Christ uh, experienced the presence of God in in this way. We We are closer to the presence of God right now than any human in history prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. Where can you go without God's presence? If His presence moves, are you going to follow it? What does it mean to be in His presence? It means to be in His Word. When, you, when you're in His Word and you're, He's speaking prophetically to you through His Word, you're actually in the experiential presence of God. When two or three are gathered in My name, there I am present. I'm with you. Every Sunday as we get together, God is really experientially here. The cloud is upon us. And when we're living life and we see that we've got to turn from sin, we've got to resist sin and turn and follow Him, and we do so, we're actually in the experiential presence of God. How can we go without that? How can we go outside of that? Where can we go without God's experiential presence? Whenever we get to the end of a book or an end of a series, it's tough for me because I get really into them and I love God's Word and I love the books that we're into. And it's always kind of sad for me to, to finish 
a book that we've been studying. And I never know how to close it. And I don't know how to close this one either. But I do know this. Jesus is the hero of Exodus. I will say I'm more in love with Jesus today than I was a couple months ago when we started this series. I'm more in awe of God's glory today than I was a couple months ago. I'm more desirous of following after Him and leaving the golden calves behind than I was just a couple months ago. And some of you say, Jesus, He's not even in the book. How are you more in love with Jesus after reading Exodus? Look, His name is not in the book, but Jesus is all through Exodus. I want to leave you, this is how I'll close it, I want to leave you with just four Four Jesus lessons from the book of Exodus as we close this series. Number one, Jesus is the better Moses who leads us into God's presence. We're going to turn to two other places this morning. Hebrews and Jude. They're both at the back of the Bible. Jude's the last book from the Bible. From the end, rather. But let's turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3. As you turn there, imagine an alien visited you today. It's very possible. And the alien said, take me to your leader. And so you tell the alien to hop in the car and you drive down to D.C. and you go up to the White House. And you take the alien to the gate of the White House and you say, well, here he is. We can't go any further. But this is where our leader is. Jesus is the one who comes out of the White House and says, hey, come on in. I'll take you to the leader. That's probably a terrible, terrible analogy. But it makes my point. Moses could only take us so far. Moses could only take us so far. Moses could take us up to the presence of God, but he couldn't go into the presence of God. Jesus is the better Moses who could do for us what Moses could not do, and that's coming out of the presence of God in heaven to take us back into the presence of God. Let me just show show this to you in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken of later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Christ is the better Moses who could take us where Moses couldn't go. Moses couldn't go into the tabernacle because God's presence was there. Moses was himself a sinner. And he could only go thus far. But Christ, let me, let me just read quickly read you chapter 9, verse 24. For Christ 
had entered, not into holy places made with hands. Meaning, Christ didn't just go into the tabernacle. He didn't just go into the, the structure that Moses couldn't get into. But Christ went into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Christ went into the fullness of the presence of God. And He is the better Moses. Secondly, Jesus is the true tabernacle who is God's presence. Not only is Jesus taking us into God's presence, but Jesus is Himself God's presence. He is the true tabernacle. John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, the Word became flesh and dwelt. That word dwelt can literally be translated tabernacled. Jesus is the eternal Logos. He's the Word that spoke and all things came into existence. Jesus is the Word of God that spoke to Moses through the burning bush. And in John it says the Word became flesh. And God tabernacled among us. Jesus is the true presence of God. We experience the presence of Jesus when we enter into His Word. When we enter into the gatherings where His name is present. When we obey Him. Thirdly, go to the book of Jude. Just flip over a couple books here. A couple pages. Thirdly, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice who presents us blameless before God's presence. I want you to look at verse 24 in Jude. There's just one chapter, verse 24. It says this, Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. Look at it. It says, He's able to present you blameless where? Before the presence of His glory. That's the same glory that filled the tabernacle that kept Moses from entering it. And Jesus is able to present you. Every single one of you. He's able, able to present you, Sade, Montreal, Andrea, Troy, Jess. He's able to present us before the presence of God's glory. He's the one that is our representative. He's the one that's bringing us into the White House as, as much of, as that analogy pales in comparison. Let's go back to the alien for just a moment here. If, if let's say you are the alien and, and the dude comes out of the White House and he says, hey, I'll take you in and you can meet the leader. When you get inside, who is your validation? It's the one who just came out of the White House, right? He's your validation for being inside. When we consider the glory of God coming into God's presence, who is our validation? It's not Moses. It's certainly not you and your own actions. But no, it's, it's the one who's come out to take you back in to present you blameless. How does He do it? How does He do it? 
He's the ultimate sacrifice. Eventually, sacrifices would be prepared so that Moses could himself enter into the tabernacle. But not on his own. It was only because of these sacrifices, which were representative of the, of the sacrifice that is to come. And Christ died on the cross as your sacrifice, taking your sins in His body on the tree, dying in your place, so that you might be forgiven, reconciled with God, made right with God, rising from the dead, so that you might have the assurance that you too will rise from the dead. And Jesus says, I'm coming back to get you. And He's able. He is able to do what Moses was not able to do. Jesus is able to present you blameless in the very presence of God. Some of you say, I, 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 I could have done more. I could have done more for God. It's not about what we do. It's not about your works. It's about what Jesus did for you. That's why we can enter into God's presence. That's why we can be presented as blameless in the glory of God in His house. My last and final Jesus lesson is this. Jesus is the hero deliverer who will never leave us. Jesus has been the hero all along in Exodus. And He is the hero deliverer. Go back to Exodus chapter 40, verse 38, if you would. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, the fire was on it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And just as God's unending presence traveled with them through all of their journeys, through the wilderness, and then eventually into the promised land, Jesus is going with you through all of your journeys in life. Friends, as you go back to work tomorrow and face what you have to face, Jesus is going with you. The presence of God is going with you. As you get back into your marriage and just try to figure things out and repair some things that are really broken there, Jesus is going with you into that. As you continue day to day in your, in your life of singleness, or maybe your life of being a single mom or a single dad, or getting along after the death of a loved one, Jesus is going with you into all of your travels. For the kids in the room, He's with you through your childhood and then into high school and then into adulthood. The presence of Christ will never leave you. Jesus will never forsake you. The same Holy Spirit that filled this tabernacle, Jesus sent to fill us today. Do you not know, the Scripture says, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit dwells you. Do you not know that what you experience today, right now, is, is this experience of the tabernacle that we see here with the filling of God's presence and glory? This cloud, this, the presence of God 
following your daddy, sticking right next to him. Unwilling to, to be out of his sight. This is the heartbeat of a Christian. We bow before him. We worship him. We cling to him. We love him. He is our hope in life and in death. And he is with us. The book of Exodus is a story that is truly epic. God has saved the people. How has He done it? I'll remind you. He, he routed the enemy. Through a series of plagues, He destroyed the enemy. He embarrassed the enemy. Through the slaughter of a ram, He, he rescued them. Brought them out through the waters, out of slavery. He graced them with the giving of His law so that they might know what He requires. He forgave their rebellion. And now God has come to take full residence among them. That's the whole story of Exodus. God has delivered you. How? He's routed your enemies. He saved you with the slaughter of a lamb. He brought you through the waters of baptism. He's graced you with His directive law. He's forgiven our rebellion time after time. And He has taken full residence in our midst. That's the whole story of us. And I pray that it's your story this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we close the book of Exodus, we ask that these truths, the, 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 the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit, the reality of the sacrificed Lamb that is our salvation, the love that You have as, as Father for us, Your children. God, we thank You for adopting us we thank You for freeing us from slavery. Bringing us to the face of Jesus. God, keep us in Your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.